The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed in the following program are strictly those of the hosts or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. All financial advice provided on this show is for entertainment and educational purposes only. The financial ideas and strategies discussed are only provided as a starting point for a conversation about money matters. With regard to your particular investments and financial strategies, consult your financial planner, CPA, or investment professional. All your financial decisions are yours and yours alone to make and subsequently are solely your responsibility. The information that is supplied through the context of the radio program and any repurposing of its content by the host or network is a combination and collection of solid financial investment understanding, opinion, and comments. This network, show, and its hosts are not liable for financial strategies, outcomes that you employ in any manner that result in any kind of loss. Shares of corporate sponsors may be the subject of buy or sell recommendations in Jay Taylor's newsletter in accordance with Jay's objective opinion. Now the thing about time is that time isn't really real. It's just your point of view. How does it feel for you? Einstein said he could never understand it all. Planets are spinning through space. Smile upon your face. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. This hour will help investors fix issues and achieve personal gain. Now, here's your host, Jay Taylor. Welcome to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. I am your host, Jay Taylor. And as I like to remind you every week, I am the author also of a newsletter called Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks. And my company, Taylor Hard Money Advisors, is in partnership with Roger Wiegand, who publishes Traded Tracks, and Chen Lin, who publishes What is Chen Buying and What is Chen Selling. Well, both Chen and Roger will be with me for a fair amount of time. Uh, Roger will be with me in the last hour from about 4 to 4.30, and Chen will be with me uh, between 3.30 and 4. That's, of course, New York time. Um, the Jay Taylor's Gold, Energy, and Tech Stocks, well, the biggest part of what I've been doing uh, has been focused on gold, and that's not because I'm disinterested in energy, not at all. But I believe, as I've said many times, that gold uh, mining shares are the buy of a lifetime. I still believe that's true because we have this major credit contraction that is taking place. It has to take place. There's so much credit that's been issued, so much debt that's out there that cannot be repaid. Uh, and so we have a gigantic struggle going on between the natural forces of deflation that would take prices plunging and cause people to go bankrupt left, right, and center, uh, that's what the markets would like to do, but countering that are the printing presses of uh, Mr. Bernanke and other central bankers around the world, and they are all trying to outrun deflation. Can they? 
Will they be able to, uh, will the forces of a uh, printing press be able to overcome deflation? Well, that's certainly the, uh, the view of Mr. Bernanke and lots of the gold bugs that we have on this show. I would say the majority of people who are really bullish on gold think that probably uh, that, that Mr. Bernanke can prevail. Uh, I'm not so sure. We've got uh, people on both sides of this, of this argument. Ian Gordon was with us last week. Uh, we've uh, we've had people like, of course, Robert Prechter, Miss Shedlack, Robert Hoy, uh, people like that who are who make very very strong arguments uh, on on the deflation side. And we have you know really rabid um, yeah, hyperinflationists. We're going to have John Williams with us in a couple of weeks, and John is a, a proponent, believes that we are heading for uh, hyperinflation, and James Turk would be another person uh, of that view, uh, Ron Paul, uh, Mark Faber, you know, brilliant people that, that are really seeing uh, the opposite side of the coin. So which way will it go? Well, I've, I've sort of sided with this view that I don't really know, and I have some good company there as well. I think uh, Eric Sprott, for one, uh, we had John Robino on the show not long ago. Those are the views uh, that we don't know which way it's going to go. And, uh, you know, I could make a case either way. Honestly, I sort of still tend to lean towards the deflation side. But, you know, it doesn't matter what I think. It matters what's going to happen. And I think what we want to do is prepare ourselves as best we can uh, as much as possible uh, for what could be coming our way. Um, I just would like to remind you again that we have their special introductory offer for our newsletter. Uh, my newsletter, uh, Jay Taylor's Gold Energy and Tech Stocks, Roger Wiegand's Trader Tracks, and Chen Lin's What is Chen Buying, What is Chen Selling. You can call Claudio Bossi in our office in New York. That's in Queens, New York. It's 718-457-1426. 718-457-1426. And you can get special offers for my letter, Chen Lin's letter, and Roger Wiegand's letter as well. Well, I want to thank each of you for listening to this show and making this the number one show on the Voice America Business Channel. Uh, I want to uh, also thank our sponsors for making the show economically viable. For the first hour of today's show, they are Gold Bullion Development, Crocodile Gold, Legend Gold Mines, Calico Resources, and Palangio Exploration. Well, I just arrived in New York from a red-eye flight this morning uh, from Buenos Aires in Argentina, and I spent the past week in Argentina mostly to visit a very unique and exciting place named La Estancia de Cafeate, or Cafejate as the natives say it. La Estancia de Cafejate is the brainchild of Doug Casey, who is providing a world-class, really establishing a world-class resort community for a pretty small fraction of the cost of what something similar to that would cost in the U.S. Uh, this is a community that has had, as its common denominator, a population of people who are willing to take responsibility for their own actions rather than looking to government or someone else to take care of them. It's really sort of philosophically uh, along the lines of Ayn Rand in Atlas Shrugged. Uh, there are a host of reasons why Doug has picked Argentina uh, as the country he thinks is the best place for people to protect themselves from the impending problems that he and most guests on this show see heading our way. Um, and Doug has talked about that on our show. I expect to have him on again. Actually, I'm going to probably replay a speech that Doug Casey made down in Cafejate uh, this past week, in which he really outlines the reasons why he thinks Argentina is, uh, is really a very good place to go. Uh, not necessarily Buenos Aires, but some of the other 
areas of Argentina, the more rural areas, and Cafejate is uh, a very rural area. If you look on the map, it's quite a ways away from, um, in fact, it's a two-hour plane ride uh, from Salta, the capital, and I had to take a flight from Salta, or from Buenos Aires to Salta. Uh, it, it, is, um, it is a remarkable, beautiful country, though, with uh, mountains that sandwiched uh, in between mountain ranges and the Andes. Uh, it is an area where grapes grow extremely well, so there is, uh, Café Jate is known for its winery. Uh, and it is a development that is just absolutely beautiful. The surrounding mountains, uh, the grape, uh, the vineyards, um, there's a, an 18-hole golf course, there's a, a beautiful uh, clubhouse there. Uh, there's going to be, uh, well, there's a uh, polo field. Uh, there's going to be a lot of other really beautiful things. There's a, like 24 miles of, uh, of um, biking lanes and, and jogging lanes and uh, uh, club, you know, various, various amenities that are being built and just really an outstanding place. Uh, I would encourage you, those of you uh, who are interested in uh, the economic aspect of, of this project as well as the potential for finding a lovely place to live or to visit from time to time, uh, it, it register your interest in knowing more. Give Claudio Bossi a call again at that number seven one eight four five seven one four two six seven one eight four five seven one four two six. Just tell him, uh, give him your name and a, your name and email address or contact points uh, that you're interested in the Cafe Jate project, Doug Casey's Cafe Jate project, and we can get more information to you. Here's one of the reasons that I think it makes sense. Um, there is, I think, a growing recognition, starting with people like the Chinese, uh, who think that it might not be the greatest idea to put all your eggs in one basket, into the dollar basket. It makes an awful lot of sense to probably to get ready uh, for uh, the dollar's demise, uh, for various reasons that we talk about on this show all the time. And it's becoming increasingly difficult already to get money out of the United States but it's my understanding that it is easier to buy property in other countries than it is to just transfer money for whatever reason. Uh, and so apparently uh, it's easier to transfer money. So you get yourself a piece of real property, and if we hyperinflate, uh, then you've got something that cannot be taken, value that cannot be taken away from you. And um, that's, so that's, that's a major starting point. But then if you can buy a piece of property that you really love and enjoy or that other people do such that its value goes up uh, and then that's also an attractive reason to own something but I would say the number one reason would be in my view would be diversification out of the dollar and into other uh, into other assets um, I should mention that the uh, property sales are going very well I think there's 310 properties and they've gotten over 200 of them sold they are increasing the prices because of the demand so anyway, if you're interested, and we'll have Doug Casey on our show, I'm sure, once in a while at least, and as I say, we'll be playing a speech. Doug is, I think, a very brilliant mind, a, a gentleman who's been around, uh, really is an intellect that is worth listening to. He's also easy to listen to because he's very entertaining. I should mention uh, before we run out of time here for the first segment that our main guest today will be Adrian Salbucci. Uh, and Daniel Estrell and Adrian Salbucci is known as a, an Argentine economist who really can shed some light on the bigger pictures why uh, you know how Argentina, Argentina falls into the bigger global scheme and 
in general, the, the global economic scenario with those forces seeking to have one world government. Daniel Estlin, who is considered the premier authority on the Bilderberg Group, will be with us as well. And Chen Lin, as I mentioned, is going to spend a half an hour with us. We're going to talk to Chen a little bit about his upbringing, his background in China, uh, how he came to be an investor. Uh, we're going to be talking to Millrock Resources, uh, a very good, I think, project generator company. And as I said, Warwick Smith is going to be with us uh, just in another 30 seconds or so after our commercial break. Well, that's the program for this week. Uh, that's uh, how it's shaping up. I hope you'll stick around with us and listen to the whole thing because I think it's going to be well worth your time. Well, don't go away. We're going to be right back with Warwick Smith of Western Pacific Resource Corp. Don't go away. You'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Gold Fields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard, it's just a love. 
listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Uh, I'm your host, Jay Taylor, and I'm really pleased to have with me an old friend, Warwick Smith. Uh, He's the chairman of Western Pacific Resource Corp., and I'm also very glad to know that joining him is the president of the company, Eric Soderholm. Uh, Let's start with you, uh, Warwick. Well, well, let me just first say that I believe, uh, just for the benefit of our listeners, that you're traded on the Toronto Exchange under the symbol WRP, and uh, I believe the uh, people can buy it down here in the States under the symbol WPMLF. Uh, I have 22.6 million shares outstanding at a pr- recent price around 55 cents. Does that sound right, uh, Warwick? You, you, yeah, you're just about right, Jay. Actually, the U.S. symbol is WRPSF. WRPSF. Okay, excellent. Well, uh, I know that um, it may not always be the most efficient way to buy Canadian stocks, but sometimes uh, it works pretty well. And I don't know what sort of trading volume you have on, on uh, in the U.S. markets or or in general. What uh, maybe you could just talk to that word? What sort of trading volumes are the, uh, are you trading these days? Yeah, absolutely, Jay. The vast majority of the uh, the volume is done on the uh, on the Toronto Toronto Venture Exchange. Mm-hmm. There is a, a certain amount done on the. Uh, on the WRPSF on the U.S. exchange, but the vast majority is done uh, on the venture exchange. It trades in the past three months. It trades about eighty-one thousand shares a day on average. Okay, uh, so but you have a, a very small market cap of roughly twelve million dollars thereabouts. I guess it would be. That's uh, let, let's talk a little bit about your leading asset, and you're in uh, Nevada, I believe, uh, primarily, right, in Idaho. We, yeah, we've is, got four projects in Nevada, and then our main asset is actually just over the border in Idaho. Mm-hmm. Uh, right on trend with uh, with Newmont's uh, Long Canyon deposit, which they mm-hmm. they just purchased Frontier Development, who had Long mm-hmm. Canyon. They did a purchase of them for two point three billion dollars, mm-hmm. uh, eight hundred million dollars of which was for which was put towards Long Canyon. And we're right on trend with them. It's actually the old uh, the old Black Pine mine, owned mm-hmm. by Pegasus and Naranda back in the nineties. Uh, sure, five hundred twenty thousand ounces of gold between ninety one and ninety eight mm-hmm. uh, has a historic uh, resource on it of half a million ounces. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a Carlin-style system. They never drilled it below, uh, below 300 feet. Uh, we're going to go and, and drill it this summer, uh, 33 holes, 10,000 meters, uh, doing about a 1,000-foot hole. So we're very excited about it, um, with it being a Carlin-style system. You know, they never they never really got into the full guts of it, did Pegasus and Naranda. Uh, it was just a, uh, it wasn't something that they looked to do. They produced cheaply out of the oxides and, and never touched mm-hmm. the carbon. Yeah, they were probably just looking at the oxides, and of course, at that time, the gold price was much, much lower than it is now, and the only thing that would work, perhaps a lot of times in those days, were certainly the companies weren't flush with cash and didn't have the ability to raise cash and put deep holes down. So you're, uh, let, let me just talk, turn to you then, Eric. Uh, uh, you're looking to do, as, as works as some 33 holes, 10,000, so you're looking at pretty long holes. Are all of your... All those 33 drill holes going to be of the long variety, or will there be some testing of oxides to expand the oxide system? 
Actually, it'll be a threefold program. We're going to be drilling into the oxides to prove up what's left. We, uh, we understand there's still 500,000 ounces of low-grade oxide there that we'd like to make sure that's still there and, and, and viable. But we're going to continue deeper into the carbonaceous material, which has a tendency to be higher grade, and really mm-hmm. is the guts of the systems along the, the Cortez and the, and the Carlin trends right now for Newmont and Barrick. They've, they've had the money to drill deeper, and they have the processes to extract the carbonaceous ore. So we're going to wind up with, with kind of a – and there's also some, some very good stratigraphic units that are deep. We know they're down there. They just haven't been tested that we're going to hit. So there's some geology that we want to, want to make sure that we, we test. So it'll be really a threefold program. Some of the holes might go 2,000 feet if we're in good-looking rock. Wow. Well, uh, so you're looking at something that's down there 1,000 to 2,000 feet, though. I mean, it's a little bit like a needle in the haystack, isn't it? Or are you able to sort of track or predict where the structures are at those kind of depths? The one thing that Pegasus didn't do was map the pits, and the one thing we have done is got in and we mapped, and we found some pretty sizable uh, grades. We have a 20-gram sample in the carbonaceous rock, and the highest we got in oxide was 10 grams. So we're excited because there's still a fair amount of gold there. It's apparent that they didn't get it all, in other words. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, the, deep, the deep holes would, would test um, carbonaceous material. Right now, Levo on the Carlin Trend starts at 2,000 feet deep. It may seem like a little bit of a needle in a haystack, but the exploration uh, philosophy and techniques have come a long, long way in the last 20 years since those guys were mining. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, now we're talking about carbonaceous ore, and I... Maybe I should back up a step and just ask you, Warwick, the philosophy of your company, you are, you are an exploration company. I don't think that you are going to be or planning to be a producer anytime, are you? No, that's correct, Jay. I mean, our, our, our background is based in exploration from you know, the backing of the Goal Group and from the backing of, of Eric and his partner, Kurt. Eric was the exploration manager on the Carlin Trend for Newmont before this. Kurt mm-hmm. Everson was a uh, before this one of the founders of Nevada Pacific, which was ultimately bought out by U.S. Gold. Sure. We'd like to prove up the asset and, and let someone else take over from there. All right, so that uh, Eric, that uh, obviously you're looking at something you're used to looking at then because you've been on a um, involved with Carlin Trend Exploration. What um, maybe you could just tell our listeners a little bit uh, when you're talking about carbonaceous ore? It can be fairly difficult. To process, but would you? Uh, I guess Newmont is doing it, aren't they? In in Nevada, uh, are there other companies that are that are processing carbonaceous ore? It generally takes more energy, I think, doesn't it, to, to pull it out? You have to. Could you just talk to that just a little bit for our listeners to give them a sense of what it is uh, when you talk about carbonaceous ore? Sure. What you have to do with carbonaceous ore is oxidize it. So you put it in an autoclave or you roast it. And then the carbon is boiled off or burned off, and then you can process it. And it is somewhat power intensive, uh, but there are lots of vessels on the on the Carlin trend right now. Queen Stake has has a uh, uh, they're up at uh, Jarrah Canyon. They're one of the other ones that are producing carbonaceous ore. Barrick really made most of their money out of the post pit, and that's almost entirely carbonaceous ores. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of of process capabilities scattered throughout the state um, in the way of roasters and, and autoclaves, and mm-hmm. that's probably. One of the best uh, cost scenarios would be down the road for someone to, to explore shipping that ore and then having someone process it for a toll. Right, so they could maybe process it. Uh, obviously, the, the cost, the capital cost of establishing an autoclaving uh, facility would probably be pretty high. So are there some of the, the existing ones that may have shortages of ore that they'll need to turn to and down the road, some of these big guys? Absolutely. In fact, Barrick has already decommissioned one of their autoclaves. It's sitting idle 
on the Carlin trend, so that's that's excess space that if you could justify kicking back up if you could find some more ore to put into it. Uh, Lone Tree, they have, there's a Newmont's got an autoclave out there that's a, always been a very reliable vessel, and that's idle as well. So hmm. uh, there, there are many options. Is there any chance uh, that these that they'll keep this on uh, on on a maintenance status so that uh, they're not taken out of commission? So that if there's more carbonaceous ore discovered, as you hope to do, uh, that that someone will have to start rebuilding these things again, or, or are they are they trying to are they is it your understanding they'll keep it on a care and maintenance basis? These companies for some time to come. Absolutely, these these vessels aren't that tough to care for. They're, they're uh, tough to maintain when they're cooking, but when mm-hmm. they're when they're idle, they're just got to keep them from from falling apart. We do the routine maintenance. They haven't been. There are still plenty of people running around in these areas. They just aren't using this particular vessel. So yeah, I think there's there's a, there are several several options down the road. You know, we like to. Uh, I like to, for the sake of my subscribers and for the listeners to this show, try to give. Uh, our listeners some sense of what the upside exploration may be even when you're very very early as you are um, well maybe not that early you know gold exists there you know that you have carbonaceous ore or let's let's say carbonaceous uh, material we don't call it ore until we know it's economic but um, mm-hmm. what what do you do you have any sense at all as to you know given the fact that you're looking at a target that's a thousand feet down uh, any sense at all what the magnitude could be in a, in a project like this. Eric, do you want me to take well, that? Well, we already know that there's, there's about 500,000 ounces of oxide that's probably, given current economics, we could produce that, so that's a given. I would mm-hmm. hope that our carbonaceous ore would exceed that by at least triple to quadruple. Mm-hmm. In terms of the total ounces, I guess right. you're talking about. Right, carbonaceous material, yeah. yes, right. Yeah. In terms yeah. of total ounces. Jay, often uh, with these things, just, yeah, to, just sure, to go ahead, work. These large deposits in Nevada generally start off at sort of a half million to a million ounces of oxides at the mm-hmm. top. And then as you get down deeper and you get into this carbonaceous ore, that's where they get big. Leeville is a great example of that. It was a half million ounces of oxide at the top. It's now five million ounces into carbon. Mm-hmm. Um, keeping in mind that no one's taken a, a spade of dirt or, or been on this ground since 1998, it opens up a great opportunity for us to make this quite a bit larger. Sure. Uh, I'd like to ask either of you gentlemen could take this question, but maybe it's appropriate for you, Warwick. Idaho, not that much mining coming out of Idaho in recent years. Nevada, of course, has been the leading state in the U.S. Talk to us a little bit about Idaho, the the politics, the uh, uh, the regulatory environment in Idaho. Yeah, I'd be happy to do so. Actually, it's it's something that we've been been very pleased with. Our permitting will end up taking us about seven months to get this fully permitted, where we believe in Nevada it would have taken over two years. Mm-hmm. Uh, Idaho and, and the Forest Service that we've been working with there have been extremely responsive, extremely pro-business. Um, we've been very, very pleased with the level of service that we've had from them. Mm-hmm. Now, you have some properties as well in, in Nevada, although uh, your, your key property, your flagship, I guess, is the one you just named in Idaho. But talk to us a little bit about your Nevada projects. We've got a, another three minutes or so. Yeah, there's four of the projects there, and we, we like all four of the projects, uh, Bombardier, Rock Springs, Meridian Ridge, and South Lida. They're all very good projects. They're not projects that we want to spend our own money on at this point. Uh, we are speaking with different people joint venturing those projects out. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it would allow us to retain a percentage and someone else to spend their money uh, mm. so we can focus our funds specifically on uh, on Mineral Gulch. 
Okay, so you're turning into somewhat of a project generator then, or I guess you would say. Yeah, but it's a little bit of both. It? I mean, we're we're somewhat of a hybrid model. We'd, we'd be happy to JV those out, and then we're happy to spend our own money on, on Mineral Gulch. It just allows the company to focus in on, on the main asset while still getting the upside of the other projects. Warwick, before we uh, went on the air here, you mentioned, uh, I was talking, of course, in the introductory remarks today about Doug Casey and mm-hmm. his Cafejate project down in Argentina that I just came back from, and you had mentioned that Doug or uh, one of his newsletters covers your, your company. Is that right? We've been quite lucky. Um, yeah, Louis James uh, covers the uh, covers the company in their insider alert service. Many of the, uh, probably many of the guests that you have on, uh, Greg McCoach, Lawrence Rolston, Brian mm-hmm. London, Sean Broderick, James West, uh, we've, we've got a, we get a lot of coverage. Mm-hmm. Um, we've had some luck in the past with, with the different companies we've worked on. We've seen a lot of success. What we've been successful at doing is putting together strong teams with a tight structure, adding in a, uh, a good asset, advancing that mm-hmm. asset, then doing larger financings and, and seeing the companies move forward. Mm-hmm. Um, we're right at that stage now. You know, We've got the oh, major yeah. asset in, and we're about to go drill it and look to add some value to it. And that's really well, where these things can move forward. So, Well, I would just mention to our listeners that uh, some of those names you just uh, mentioned, in addition to Louis James, the other writers, I have a high regard for those, for those gentlemen. And, uh, uh, and, and still you have a market cap that's only $12 million with this uh, flagship asset uh, seeming to have the potential to come up big. So this is the reason, though, well, these little minuscule market cap companies can really, can really make people a lot of money. Uh, they are highly risky, of course. But that's the nature of the beast. You don't get the high returns without the high risk. I want to thank both of you gentlemen uh, for being with me today. And uh, hopefully you can come back and update our listeners sometime in the future uh, as uh, once the drills start turning. Uh, do you expect some drill results anytime soon? Yeah, we'll have the drills turning this summer, Jay. So we'd, uh, we'd certainly love to come back when we get those. All right. Maybe in the fall sometime. Well, anyway, thanks both of you. And we'll uh, keep our eyes on Western Pacific. Uh, That's all the time we have for now. So uh, don't go away though, because we're going to be right back with, uh, we're going to be right back with our key, um, with our main guest today, Daniel Eschlin and Adrian Salbucci. We'll be right back after the break. Don't go away. America Business Network, the bottom line in business. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to an underlying problem. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theories to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to quadruple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while 
while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights call 718-457-1426 or visit miningstocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters voice america business network the bottom line in business welcome to the human race some kind of You're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times, and we are having a hard time today because my main guest, uh, Adrian Sabucci, is not with us. I don't know if there's a misunderstanding in terms of who is calling who or not, uh, but I might ask my uh, my assistant and my wife if she has Adrian's number, uh, if she can send that on to me, and I'll pass it on to the engineers, and they will call Adrian Sabucci. I sense that maybe uh, that is what's happened because Adrian is in Argentina, and he's probably awaiting awaiting my call. Um, in any event, uh, we, will be, um, we will be talking to, uh, actually Warwick Smith has agreed to stay on with us for a couple of minutes, uh, at least until we get uh, Adrian Salbucci with us. Uh, Warwick, uh, thanks for hanging around. Um, hey, no problem. Let, let me just ask you, uh, yeah, we do have some background noise and it will be over in just a minute. I'm printing some material out so that I have something to talk about in case uh, we don't get Adrian with us. Uh, so my apologies that we'll be finished in just a minute. Uh, Warwick, uh, it does sound like you have a very interesting project going on, going there with the uh, Western Pacific. Uh, what are you What are you finding in the in the markets itself? Is it a fairly easy time to raise capital for junior mining companies? You know what, Jay? We did a fundraising uh, in the summer of, a, uh, of 2010, and that wasn't the ideal timing. But as, as you remember, at that point, there was concerns about where the market was going. Sure. We've seen we've seen good gains since then uh, in terms of our in terms of our share price and in terms of our market cap. And there's been a great deal of interest, especially now as we get close to getting the permits. People are getting quite excited. Uh, we've right. spent a good deal of this year traveling around and meeting with different investors and different mutual funds. Now, as we get close, um, we're seeing a lot of excitement. I would suspect if we wanted to go back to the market and raise some money, it wouldn't be a difficult thing to do at this juncture. Uh, so you've got these, these other projects, uh, properties in, um, uh, in Nevada. Do you have anybody at this point in time to joint venture those? Have you, have you found joint venture partners or are you putting them up for joint venture? You know, we just recently put them up for joint venture. Uh, we, did, we did drill South Lida uh, earlier in this year. Um, 
we were pleased with the results we've got, but we don't we we didn't want to spend a, a great deal of money on the uh, on the project. So we've just started looking. We're uh, we're in negotiations on three of the projects with a, uh, a couple of different groups, but uh, we haven't signed anything yet. So we're still we're still working our way down that road. Uh, do you have uh, any anything else that you think our listeners should uh, should know about? I normally ask that question before we say goodbye to our uh, to our listeners. Yeah, for uh, sure. I mean, I, I suppose the thing that uh, I haven't mentioned is, is Western Pacific's part of the uh, the Gold Group of companies, so Fortuna Silver, uh, formerly Northland Resources, Radius Gold. We've had a lot of success with the companies that uh, that have been part of the group, and we've certainly got a good ability to raise money. They've raised over three hundred million dollars over the past couple of years, so we've got the ability to advance those assets and and see them move forward. That well, would be the one thing I'd be worth mentioning. Yeah, there certainly is a good group of guys, and maybe you just take a minute or two. Uh, Fortuna is one of them. Fortuna Silver. Yeah, Fortuna Silver, which is a uh, an, an excellent silver company for those that are interested in silver companies. It's producing down in Peru. Uh, they're just bringing a second mine on stream down in Mexico and Oaxaca right now. Uh, mm. A company I was involved is when it got started, helping doing the investor relations quite some time ago, uh, and it's grown substantially since then. Uh, mm-hmm. But uh, it's I'm biased, but it's certainly my favorite silver company. Well, it's, it's one that I know I did follow in the past as well. I could mm-hmm. give our listeners just, uh, what is the symbol for Fortuna? Uh, it's F-V-I, and there's a U.S. symbol as well, although I don't know it off the top of my head. Uh-huh. Um, okay, and um, could you, uh, so there, that's one of the companies. Oh, maybe you can tell us what more or less what are they, uh, what's the cost of production, if you know that. More or less. It's, I know they've got a negative cash cost on the silver because of all the... Um, because of all the byproducts that they have, but the exact cash cost is off the top of my head. It would be, I'd be taking a guess because it's been a while since I've been working with them. Okay, um, and what name? Name another company. You mentioned a couple more. Uh, yeah, Fortuna Silver is part of the group. Uh, Radius Gold is part of the group. Radius Gold, yes. Yeah, Radius, Radius. is a. Uh, it's probably Simon Ridgeways. I, I would register a guess that it's probably his a. Uh, his biggest holding and a, and a company that he holds very closely to his heart. He's worked a, uh, extensively on that, and they've picked up a bunch of projects now in the Yukon, as well as some projects down in Ecuador as well. They had been involved, I know, in Central America at one time. Uh, is that right? Are they no longer there so much? More in Ecuador and uh, the Yukon, you say? Yeah, they got they got some projects down in Guatemala as well. They're, they've It's actually a, a fairly good story. I, it's, it's a story that I own, and it's a story that's part of the office, so again, a grain of salt. But I know Simon has spent a great deal of time working on this company and really wants to see it succeed. Um, he's someone that's been very helpful for my career and, and has made people a lot of money in the past. Mm-hmm. leads me to believe that he'll find a way to make this company successful. Well, it's, it's really good. You have teamed up with some, uh, some pretty impressive people and, and people with good track records. And that, uh, no doubt, having, you know, mining, putting a mine, uh, moving a mine towards... Uh, uh, towards production and finding the material to start with is no easy task and as you advance these projects you need more and more skills different kinds of people different kinds of skills and uh, certainly you have uh, under one roof there in the exploration arena at least a very very good team uh, Warwick I think what we're going to do is uh, probably go on uh, to a break now I want to thank you very much for sticking around and helping me through this, uh, oh, it, uh, this it's a this pleasure Jay thanks for having me on void here and uh, look forward to having you back uh, to talk about Western uh, Pacific again, it does really sound like an interesting story. One I think I need to update my subscribers on. So thank you very much. Thank Folks, you, don't go away. We're going to be right back. Uh, we're going to take a break now. We'll be right back uh, with Adrian Salbucci. I believe uh, he may have called in now. Don't go away. We'll be right back. When it comes to business, you'll find the experts here. Voice America Business Network. 
Barkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Barkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer-long by 20-kilometer-wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Barkerville's own proposed open-pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Barkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Barkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Want to know more about how you can turn financial losses from the most devastating stock market and economic decline since the 1930s into wealth and prosperity? A successful strategy for dealing with adversity requires a proper diagnosis of the causes and solutions to underlying problems. By applying rarely taught Austrian economic theory to policies implemented by our policymakers, Jay Taylor has been able to triple the value of his model portfolio since 2000, while the stock market has been in the worst bear market in decades. At MiningStocks.com, Jay and his associates provide a framework for turning the pains of the current bear market and recession into investment gains. Jay is a frequent radio and TV guest and speaker at investment conferences where he shares his highly profitable Austrian economic insights at a time when most people are seeing their 401ks become 201ks or worse. He is available to share his rare profit-making insights via radio, TV, and public speaking engagements. To profit from Jay's insights, call 718-457-1426 or visit MiningStocks.com to subscribe to his profitable newsletters. Crocodile Gold Corp. is a new gold producer with Bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. Voice America Business Network. The bottom line in business. Welcome to the human race. Some kind of love and ride. I'll be sliding down, I'll be gliding down. Try not to try too hard. It's just a love you're listening to Turning Hard Times into Good Times with your host, Jay Taylor. If you have a question or comment about today's show, Jay would love to hear from you at 1-866-472-5790. That's 1-866-472-5790. You can also send an email to questionsfortaylor at gmail.com. That's questions, the number four, taylor at gmail.com. Now, back to our program. Welcome back to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, I guess this is what happens when your host uh, is traveling uh, so much. I, I must have dropped the ball on this one. We were supposed to be calling uh, Daniel Eschen and Adrian Sabucci, and there is also a bit of confusion on the time. But we do have Adrian here, thank goodness. And uh, welcome, Adrian, to Turning Hard Times into Good Times. Well, thank you. It's great to be on your show again. It was great to see you down here last week. It was fantastic, and thank you for that wonderful lunch you bought me. I'll tell you, uh, we, we walk into this restaurant in Buenos Aires, and there's a big stuffed cow out front, and you get inside, and there's this horse inside, stuffed horse. I mean, it was fabulous food. 
But I must say, when I left the restaurant, I smelled like I was uh, in a smoke pit somewhere. <laughs> yeah, I can, I can understand they, they, they actually use uh, charcoal in the restaurants and, instead of uh, gas burners, and it was just delicious. It's fabulous. Of course, Argentina is so well known for its, uh, uh, for, for its beef um, and other uh, meats. So, so it, it was a wonderful time down there, Adrian, and thanks again. I had uh, just, just less than a day in, um, uh, in Buenos Aires. What a great city that is. It's, uh, what's the population of Buenos Aires? Well, the city itself is about three and a half million, and with the greater Buenos Aires area, that's about 13 million. It's one-third mm. of the population of the country in Buenos mm. Aires and greater Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. And you have, uh, you have, if I understand, the landmass in Argentina is about uh, equal to that of the United States east of the Mississippi River. Does that sound right? Uh, it's a bit bigger than that, actually. Bigger it's that. about okay. the uh, landmass of Argentina is about half of that of continental United States. And just to give you an mm-hmm. idea, we are as long from north to south as it is from Maine to San Diego, California. Aha. Uh-huh. Well, it is a big country, and of course, with varied climates. And I must say, when I went to Cafijate this past week, it was uh, it was really a, a beautiful place uh, with with the rocks, the mountains, the mountain ranges, and the there's a like a canyon or a valley. Uh, that you drive through on uh, Route 68, I believe it is, all the way down from Salta, and it was uh, it was one of the most beautiful things that I've seen in my life. Uh, I really enjoyed my stay there very much, and uh, the people are very nice. I even treated a guy that couldn't speak the language very well. They treated me very well, so I, I really enjoyed it. Well, Adrian, you know Daniel Eschenen is supposed to be joining us. Uh, I, I might just mention, for the benefit of listeners that haven't uh, heard Adrian before on our show. Um, he is, uh, well, I think of him as, as an Argentine economist. I don't know if he's really uh, officially an economist or not. He's an economist in my books. He's a researcher, lecturer, and essayist. essayist. He writes essays. Uh, he is the founder of the Argentine Second Republic Movement, and he has worked as an international business consultant, an analyst of power structures, and the political and economic and financial globalization and has been the communications project manager and translator of El Traductor Radial. Adrian Salbucci's new book describes key factors of the coming world government and the basic guidelines of the Second Republic Project. And you can, uh, I think you can get, uh, Adrian, correct me if I'm wrong, but can listeners get your book online? And I think you published one in English. Is that right now? Yes, yes. Uh, all we have to do is they can visit our website, uh, that's asalbucci, A-S-A-L-B-U-C-H-I dot com dot A-R, or they can drop me an email at uh, arsalbucci at gmail dot com, and I can send them all the details on, on how to get it. But uh, basically what, what, I, what I try to do, not just in that book, but in, in all the stuff that we've been doing, all the conferences and videos, etc., is to bring something which I hope is added value to the table in trying to understand this crazy world we live in, and that is that a lot of the stuff that's happening now uh, in different parts of the world and in different uh, aspects of, of, of the, whether it be the economy, the finance, and so forth, for various reasons, it has happened previously in the last 20 or 30 or 10 years, depending on the subject, in Argentina and in Latin America. So in a way, we were forced beyond our, in spite of our desire not to do so, we were forced to have first-hand experience of a lot of these things that are happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, that has made you so much the wiser. And one of the things that I uh, that I think that Americans are missing 
uh, actually is a lack of these kinds of difficult experiences in the past. And uh, I mean, not that anybody really wants to have hard times. We want to turn hard times into good times. But the, the notion is that, and I know this is one of the things that Doug Casey talked about last week, is that the Argentinian people, uh, you know, they're not, they don't necessarily believe without questioning what their government is telling them. And I think in the U.S., uh, the people that I know, mostly, if they see it on CNBC and NBC or whatever, the major networks, they say, oh, yeah, well, that has to be right. I mean, the guy's got a Ph.D. behind his name. He must know what he's talking about. Uh, would you say, and I know you travel the U.S. a lot. In fact, you lived here a long time. So you have a good sense of what's going on in the U.S. and Argentina. Would you compare the two in terms of uh, the, let's say, the, the trust that the citizens have uh, of their government? Would you say that uh, Argentinians maybe trust less than what Americans well, do? Yeah, absolutely. That's one of the things that I, that I describe in, in, in my little book in, in, in The Coming World Government is that there is a, a very complex uh, series of processes on the economic, monetary, political, military, diplomatic, and, and vastly intellectual spheres throughout the world, the difference being between Argentina and the U.S., that you have always been on the winning side, or most of the time you've been on the winning yeah. side, same with the British and probably same with uh, 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 in recent decades with Europe, and we have been systematically on the losing side, not because anybody hates us in particular, but because to a great extent what's happened in Argentina, for example, with military takeovers, financial coups, hyperinflation, monetary collapse, they were, in a way, they had warnings of being small-scale experiments that were being carried out throughout uh, the decades and are now, to my surprise, I must say, being implemented on a, on a global scale. So one of the effects of that is that, in a way, our people have grown accustomed to trying to survive all these crises, whether it be monetary, political, uh, diplomatic, or whatever. And uh, so we, we've come to a point where we seldom trust what our government tells us. We think, in, in principle, they're lying to us. Well, mm -hmm. if I put myself in the shoes of an American, an American will always say, well, you know, my country has just grown and grown and grown, and we became a superpower, and we beat the Germans, and we beat the Soviet Union, and, you know, our country is doing quite, until recently, was doing quite well. So you have no real reason not to believe your government. Probably the turning point was the 11th September 2001, when a lot of people started scratching their heads and started to realize that maybe something is very rotten and not just in the state of Denmark. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I, I think that's right, but I but I also believe that uh, I mean I've gone through uh, you know we, we when when you travel a lot you go through uh, the security areas and more and more uh, you know I couldn't help but I couldn't help but look at the difference between the security uh, in uh, in flying from Buenos Aires to Salta for example uh, you didn't have to take your laptops out you didn't have to take your shoes off. Uh, basically, there just wasn't this sort of uh, ultimate um, um, paranoia or concern about every individual walking through that metal detector. Uh, you don't have body scanners like we have in the U.S., which have apparently have high levels of radiation that are very, very dangerous, according to some people in the know. I mean, it just seems to me like uh, that Doug Casey is right about this when he talks about uh, you know, there, there isn't this sort of urgent sort of police state. And, and, you know, I would always have thought that Argentina would be much more of a police state than America. But, um, but, but you know, we've, we've, uh, we've come so far, haven't we, since 9-11. Our, 
are a, a totalitarian sort of totalitarian um, direction. It seems in the U.S. has been, I think, fairly rapid. Would you agree with that? Yeah, you know, I, I think we discussed this over lunch uh, last week. Uh, an old professor of mine who really opened my eyes to a lot of these things, he wasn't even Argentinian, he was a Frenchman, actually, but he, he, he lived in Argentina. He once told me there are basically two ways to control large populations. You could do it the Soviet way, like in the old Soviet Union, where you had a policeman with a very bad and ferocious-looking dog on a leash, and you would say, uh-oh, I better, I better behave and do what the system tells me. Or you can have a a, t a TV set in every living room. And as the years went by, the TV set in every living room won the day. That's why globalization 21 years ago needed for the Soviet Union to disappear because the globalized model was not going to be coercitive with the, the nasty-looking cop and ferocious dog on every corner, but rather the much more persuasive psychological operation-type TV set in every room system. And that is what won the day, and probably the first victims in that are the, the people of the United States, because you've always had a free country. You never had a military takeover. We had some really nasty, ferocious, very violent military takeovers. Yes. So in a way, as time went on, we learned how to keep out of their way, how to not, not, not be in the, in the firing line, naturally not to believe them. When these people would take they, the, the last time they took over uh, the, the country was in 1976. They threw out with a coup, with a very a violent coup, actually, a legally elected government. So we knew that they were lying, but they mm -hmm. had the arms, they had power on their side. It was like a Soviet regime, although it was of a, of a different ideological orientation. So, uh, and when so-called democracy came back, a lot of people here realized very quickly, they say, well, hold, hang on a minute, this isn't really democracy. This is really money power selecting key individuals, financing their election campaigns, financing their presence in the mainstream media, and catapulting them to power. And then from the government palace and from Congress, they will do what major international corporations want them to do. So in mm -hmm. a way, a lot of people, I'm not saying everybody, but a lot of people realize that that is probably the way the system works, or at least they had an intuition of that. That mm -hmm. in America was not the case, and there's been a very, very uh, violent or a very rowdy awakening amongst many people in the United States because they started to realize, especially, as I say, 9-11 probably was a, 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 a milestone, and 15 September 2008 was another milestone where your entire mm -hmm. financial system went on the brink. A lot of people, millions of people lost their homes, lost their jobs, and so forth, and not one single corporate banking officer is in jail or even under investigation. So you figure mm -hmm. there has to be something very wrong here, and that is very healthy because people are starting to really awaken, wake up, and realize that they have to turn off the TV set, stop thinking with other people's brains, and start thinking with their own brain. Mm -hmm. Well, what you're talking about, um, Adrian, it sounds an awful lot like uh, the recipe that the Fabian Socialists put together. Ed Griffin talks about this in his book, Creature from Jekyll Island and elsewhere. The Fabian Socialists didn't have a, any disagreements, apparently, with the, uh, with the Bolsheviks in, in Russia, uh, except the means to get there. And uh, the, the television in every house, the, 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 the sort of subtle... Uh, I suppose maybe economic materialistic uh, buying off of people. Uh, it, it does seem a lot more humane. It does seem a lot more attractive than than getting your you know getting your head beat in every now and then. I suppose. So, what's not to like about it? I mean, why? Uh, what are we complaining about? Now, look, you, you said two thousand and eight. 
yeah, we had a, we had quite a decline in the in the markets. But look what's happening now, Aiden. We have the equity markets are, are up, up and up. The commodity markets are up, up and up. Uh, we've got a couple of minutes before the break here, but let let me just start out by asking you, what's not to like about uh, about this upward market again? Well, I think that uh, as, as as this goes up, up and up, people are many people will realize that this is being done artificially, and the higher it rises, the faster and the harder it's going to fall. So I think that we have to be very careful about artificial fiddling around with figures, market cap, market results, and so forth, because we are probably going to see, and that's why we're already talking about quantitative easing three, which means mm-hmm. that the dollar is being hyperinflated. And maybe after the break, I'd like to bring in a couple of points on that, uh, comparing it to what we live through here uh, in Argentina, where, as Ed Griffin so wonderfully describes in the book, uh, The Creature from Jekyll Island, the Fabian Society's method was to do it gradually. However, that gradualism is not working for them now because they are being forced to take things too quickly. And when you take things too quickly, like the proverbial frog that is dumped into, into very hot water or boiling water, he starts to realize that something is wrong. So a mm-hmm. lot of us are boiling in, the, in this uh, global uh, crisis that we are all living, whether in America, Europe, or in Latin America. So people are starting to realize that there definitely is something wrong and something they have to defend themselves against. Okay, Adrian, we're going to have to go to a commercial break, and when we come back, I want to pick up on this boiling frog, uh, slow heat uh, phenomenon, and and see. Uh, I have some questions for you on that, and the uh, you know economics uh, underlying the need to act quickly. So don't go away, folks. We're going to be right back with Adrian Salbucci. I want to talk to him about the Fabian Socialists and some of the organizations also uh, that uh, appear to be the powers behind the throne. Don't go away. We'll be right back with Adrian Salbucci. Business community's first choice in Internet Talk Radio, Voice America Business Network. Parkerville Gold Mines, BGM on the TSX.V, is focused on the exploration and development of its gold projects in the historic Caribou Goldfields in British Columbia. Parkerville's mineral tenure now encompasses over 111,000 hectares, covering the 60-kilometer long by 20-kilometer wide geological belt and includes seven past-producing mines and two of Parkerville's own proposed open pit mines, currently in the permitting process. Parkerville recently announced the acquisition of the QR mine and 900-ton-per-day QR mill. Parkerville Gold began mining operations in February of 2010 and is expecting to produce 50,000 ounces in its first full year of mining. Great Panther Silver is a profitable primary silver producer trading on the Toronto Stock Exchange under the symbol GPR. GPR operates two 100% owned mines in Mexico, has a solid track record of increasing production, and continues to add resources and reserves. GPR has developed an organic growth strategy that will see production increase by more than 65% over the next two years. Great Panther Silver is also generating excitement at its new discovery in Guanajuato and expanding its drill program. Look for GPR on the TSX. North Atlantic Resources is a gold exploration company with three projects in Mali, West Africa. With successful drilling programs and new discoveries made this year, we are in an excellent position to advance our premier FT project to development. We have a 43-101 compliant resource of approximately 600,000 ounces of gold, with a target to increase to over 1 million ounces. North Atlantic trades under the symbol NAC on the TSX Venture Exchange. Learn more about NAC. Go to our website at www.nac.com. 
www.gold-tsx.com. Crocodile Gold Corp is a new gold producer with Bite. With operating gold mines in the Northern Territory of Australia, Crocodile Gold produced 82,000 ounces of gold in 2010. Crocodile Gold has significant exploration upside on its expansive land package of 2,500 square kilometres. Please visit our website at www.crocgold.com for more information. Don't let this snappy opportunity pass by. 